brother's friends came over, like, I don't know if there was somebody at my house that they knew and they were stopping over to see them or, and I want to say that he was over more than just this one time, but I don't, I wouldn't say we were friends. It was more like come over and hang out in my basement. And he was one of those people. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's kind of like, so I remember stepping out on my front porch um, and looking across the street and him and whoever he was with had gotten out of the car and, um, and Lloyd had been playing in the front yard, you know? And so I like, I waved over to all of them and I was telling Lloyd to come in for whatever reason. And they called me over They're Like, Oh, Hey Scott, come over here. And I was like, all right. So I, you know, grabbed Lloyd's hand and we walked across the street and we're chatting and talking and, um, and Lloyd's just like in complete awe of Damien's fingernails. He's just like, he was four, four and a half. And um, he, Lloyd went through fate. So he had this pink dolly that he loved. And his favorite pair of socks were pink. Like he was obsessed with anything girly at the time. And I mean, growing up in a, with a single mom, like that's all he knew. I wasn't particularly girly. I'm still not particularly girly, but yeah he really just resonated with that and for him to see a boy mm -hmm. with fingernail paint polish mm -hmm. on you know he was just like oh wow he was like you have your fingernails painted and boys don't do that and Damien was like boys do do that and Lloyd's like really and Damien's like I'll paint your fingernails and and Lloyd was like oh okay Damien reached in the car and he got this little thing of black nail polish out and they sat on the curb of the street and Damien sat there and painted Lloyd's fingernails on the curb. It was so adorable. I Just the it. whole conversation between the two of them. It was cute. From what I remember of him, like even in high school, you know, it was um, all, then they had like that whole skater thing going mm -hmm. and um, I was not popular. Yes, me too. That's what it was. I wanted to hang out with them, but she hung out with all of those cool kids like yeah. that, you know? And so I remember um, seeing all of them hanging out together. I wish I was. From Your Daily Local and Two Moms Media and Warren PA, this is Smoke, The Disappearance of Damien Sharp. We're your hosts, Brian Hagberg and Stacy Gross. Sharp was a 22-year-old army veteran, home for less than a year after serving in Bosnia and living in Warren, Pennsylvania when he went missing. By his high school graduation in 1998, Damien was well recognizable among most of his friends. He was a goth kid and a wrestler, and that juxtaposition, that contrast between roles and lifestyles would play out after his return from Bosnia as well at the end of 2001. At just 5 feet 7 inches and 170 pounds, Damien was small, but his passion for controlled combat, particularly Brazilian jiu-jitsu, made him a formidable sparring partner. But his reputation wasn't just of someone always primed for a fight as one person described him at the time. Damien's was also the official place to go when boyfriends were being foolish or you just needed a safe place to regroup. On Saturday, May 25th, 2002, 
Damien was dropped off by a friend at the corner of Dahl and Prospect Streets in the city of Warren. He was there to visit a recent addition to his diverse collection of local friends and associates. It was Memorial Day weekend in Warren County, well regarded as a place to kick off summer in the great outdoors, was ramping up for a lot of events. From backyard family picnics to a park-and-walk party winding through the Allegheny National Forest, there are any number of places that Damien could have gone that night after he parted ways with the occupant of 332 Prospect Street, Apartment 12, around 6 p.m. Where he finally ended up, though, has been the biggest mystery in Warren County for the past 20 years. Though he had plans to meet his brother, Stephen, and several other friends at his apartment, 19 Cedar Street on Warren's east side that Saturday night, he never showed. And although numerous people say they had plans to meet Damien at that forest party, no one claims to have ever seen him there either. Rick Brecht was a patrolman for the City of Warren Police Department in 2003. He inherited Damien's case about a year after it started. And he told the Times Observer, Warren's local newspaper, at that time that, quote, we can track him up to the last hour he was seen. Then, it's like the world just opened up and swallowed him, end quote. By that Monday, Damien's brother, Stephen, who'd been stopping by the apartment since Damien failed to show up on Saturday, said he knew something was wrong. Eventually, people started calling the family and some of them reached out to more family members until, finally, they opened the apartment for police to search when it became clear they said that something was indeed wrong. Finally, on June 3rd, over a week after Damien officially went missing, a report was filed at the City of Warren Police Department. Around the end of 2020, I was looking for a new topic for a podcast. Just before the pandemic, I started a podcast called Two Moms Day Drinking, and it came about for the same reasons that smoke has. I'd left my local newspaper where I'd been a reporter since 2015. I took a job in local government, not as anything fun, and I was crap at it. I was a writer with no story. If you've ever known or been friends with, loved, or lived with a writer, you know that such a set of circumstances can't be allowed to continue. It just can't. I folded that original podcast by the fall of 2020. It relied heavily on one-to-one interviews, and I lived in what amounts to a broadband desert. Yes, they do exist. I did not have access to internet that could keep up with the likes of Zoom. I changed jobs. I was on the road more time than I was home. As great as that podcast had been, it had run its course. But I was still hungry for stories, and there was one story that represented, for me, the top of my story wish list. The story of Damien Sharp. Damien graduated four years ahead of me, in 1998, from Warren Area High School. But I'd known of him since middle and maybe even elementary school. By the time I was a freshman and He was headed toward graduation, the army, Bosnia. I could have described Damien to you well enough for you to have drawn a sketch of him. Maybe. If you can draw sketches. 
I'd never spoken a word to him, but there was a whole archetype for Damien in my brain by that point. He stood out, period. If you saw Damien, you knew who the hell he was. He was short, only 5'7", but he was built. He spent his high school years alternating between wearing those gigantic black bondage pants from Hot Topic and chanting made-up satanic verses as he wandered the hallways, but then also wrestling for the Warren Dragons. I'm not sure if you've ever seen a Letterman jacket with bondage pants, but it's a whole look. Promise you that. And I know less about sports ball than any topic on earth, so here's Brian to tell you what he can remember of Damien in high school. Damien was just two years ahead of me in school, and I had known who he was since at least the sixth grade. Uh, You know, the stories about Damien were uh, plentiful, often involving some sort of satanic element given his uh, typical all-black attire. I didn't have many personal interactions with him, though the few times we did speak, he was always pleasant and personable. I mean, it, it led me to believe that perhaps some of the aura surrounding him was intentionally cultivated by him to create a reputation larger than maybe his physical stature. You know, I'll never, I'll never forget the first question a friend asked after he saw me talking to Damien once. He said, he worships the devil, you know. Aren't you afraid he's going to put a spell or a curse on you? My response to him was simply, have you ever actually spoken to him? Of course, the answer was no. Uh, you know, and though a multi-sport athlete in high school myself, I wasn't a wrestler and didn't really have the opportunity to see uh, Damien in that arena. Uh, but having been good friends with a number of wrestlers and having covered the sport for more than a decade, I can say with some authority that it takes a certain breed to be a wrestler. You know, you've got to have a willingness for physicality and at least a little touch of crazy. And I mean that in absolutely the most positive way I can uh, to put your body through the gauntlet of a wrestling season. To be honest, you know, once Damien graduated, I don't think we were ever in the same place at the same time again. We just, we traveled in different circles. Uh, you know, he was reported missing just a week or two before I moved down to Pittsburgh. Uh, and though, you know, we were miles removed from the situation, um, I distinctly remember discussing Damien's disappearance with my group of friends down there. Uh, you know, and that was where I first heard the uh, drug deal gone bad rumor. Uh, the, the first rumor I was told from someone who claimed to be, quote, in the know uh, about where Damien was, was that uh, he had been wrapped in chicken wire and dumped near the Kinzu Dam. If Brian and I were going to make any headway at any of this, we'd have to get past the image that Damien projected and the one we'd created for ourselves, given our own biases and experiences in high school. All either of us really knew for sure about the guy was that he wore all black, he was quiet, and he was rumored to be into Satanism, or black magic, or something. As if any of us in high school even understood what that meant, but okay. Brian and I knew that couldn't be all there was to Damien because he was also on the wrestling team. He was also someone's friend. He had to be, right? Someone's actual friend? We'd heard talk of a best friend in the comments of the family's Find Damien Facebook page, but exact names were hard to come by at this point in our investigation. On Friday, May 24th, Damien had a party at his house with a bunch of friends. 
Several people were there at Damien's Cedar Street apartment, and among them was Dave. Dave and Damien had a lot in common, so I reached out to him last September when Brian and I were just getting our thoughts together on how to approach a project of this scope, with no X marking any spots at all as to where best to begin. Dave and Damien met in 1994, when both were freshmen. Dave's family had just moved to Beach Street at the edge of Warren's west side, That's less than a 10-minute walk from where Damien was growing up, and if you grew up in the late 80s and 90s in anything like a small town, 10 grand or less in the city, you know what you were doing as a high school freshman on any spring, summer, or fall night. Here's Brian again. I grew up in two distinctly different parts of Warren County. Uh, For the first 10 years of my life, we lived on East 5th Avenue, uh, just a couple of blocks down from Warren Area High School. There were about a half a dozen or so boys right in that uh, two-block radius extending from uh, Redwood up to Prospect Street. Um, And again, that two blocks on East 5th Avenue in Warren is not like two blocks on uh, 5th Avenue in New York City. We're talking corner to corner, Redwood to Prospect. It's only about a tenth of a mile. Uh, Anyway, we were constantly together. We were playing in somebody's yard, roaming around the neighborhood, riding our bikes down to the card shop on Conowango Avenue, uh, catching crayfish in the stream next to the run. Um, And if you're not from Warren County, we'll try to put some uh, photos up uh, to show you exactly what the run is. But that was a rite of passage. It ran down. There was a little tunnel. And if you were brave enough to uh, get your bike in there and ride through the tunnel, Uh, down to uh, Beatty Playground. You were the man, as it were. Anyway, at any rate, it was uh, was the mid to late 80s, and we were pretty much free to roam wherever we wanted to. I mean, I'm sure there were certain rules that we had to follow, but I honestly can't remember any of them. Uh, And then summer, you know, with bikes at our disposal, we were just everywhere. Uh, The best way I can describe it, if you've ever seen the movie Stand By Me, that's pretty much how it was for us. You know, minus the uh, overnight trip to to find a dead body. Uh, And then I spent some time also up in Scandia, which is um, just your typical, very, very, very small rural town. There's not even a four-way stop sign uh, in the town. It's it's one main road. Scandia Road runs through the middle. uh, And then you've got a bunch of, of dirt roads that go off to the side. You know, my closest friend in that area was a quarter of a mile away. Uh, we still pretty much biked everywhere we could, when we could. And again, it wasn't uncommon for us to be riding our bikes up and down Scandia Road, and people would pass us and not give it a second thought. It was just the way it was at that time. Uh, nobody thought anything of a, a group of 10 to 12-year-olds just roaming around uh, with no adult supervision for basically all day long. You know, the main hangout spot was the old Scandia School, formerly, a, you know, one of the last standing one-room schoolhouses in the country. We'd go to the playground there or hang out uh, over at the Scandia store. Back in those days, it was a, a functioning gas station slash convenience store slash movie rental store slash basically whatever you could kind of get at that point uh from a grocery standpoint uh but that was basically where we hung out and that's that's how we grew up we were just we were outside playing and uh nobody gave it a second thought for us to be out there wandering 
uh, alone for hours upon hours at a time. Like Brian, I had a bifurcated childhood in Warren County, too. Mine started out in a place a lot like Scandia for him. In fact, I spent the better part of my teenage years riding horses up and down Scandia Road, but we actually lived at the top of Mohawk Avenue on a farm. My parents rented the farmhouse, and my dad would help with things like fall butchering or summer haying. I remember he had really bad allergies, but he would go in hay after work and come home looking miserable, and now, as an adult with allergies, I feel your pain, Dad. Around 14, my parents and I moved to my grandfather's house in North Warren when he went to a nursing home, and at that point, my childhood looked a lot like Brian's. And according to Dave, his and Damien's. North Warren is a residential neighborhood about two miles long, running parallel to Route 62, which takes you north to the New York state border. I'd get home from school there, and like Brian, I'd be roaming those two miles until the sun went down, often well past dark on any given school night. One interesting feature of North Warren is the state hospital. That, like a lot of things in Warren County that make for some rad, haunting history, is outside the scope of this podcast to tell you about. But if you're interested in learning more about it, we'll provide some links to good resources for you in the show notes. What you need to know about that place, though, is that it's basically an enormous campus, and this one had a tunnel that ran under Route 62 onto the hospital grounds. But it had been out of use for approximately a million years, if you'd asked me back then. That was the place to ride your bike as a kid, because I don't care how old you are, you always catch a little buzz knowing there are cars zooming over top of you, and that the only thing preventing your absolute annihilation is the mystery of physics. So rad. The point is this. Damien's childhood looked a hell of a lot like ours, whether he looked like us or not. So when Brian and I decided to work on this podcast together, we did it because we agreed. Damien honestly could have been either one of us. What happened to Damien when he went missing? It might have ended differently for Brian or for me or for a lot of other kids in Warren County depending on whether they, too, wore a shock value wardrobe or walked a rubber chicken down the road like a dog. I was recently asked if I had any headshots that made me look less crazy. I did not. Thank God Phil Gilbert of John Phil Photography and Warren PA is a thing. I mean, he's not a thing. He's a person. Never mind. Look, nouns are nouns, and Phil is rad because if you loathe the experience of having your photo taken and every photo of yourself for that reason, Phil's your guy. Phil will make you smile for real, and here's the thing he gets why you want the photos you want. So, that feeling we're all trying to capture in a physical photograph, that's Phil's thing. If you want a photo of your family that translates easily to a cardboard cutout, you can probably just go to a department store photo studio if you can find one. Best of luck with that. I guess. If you want to look back on your special day or memory or human and feel that feeling all over again, call Phil. Even if you want to look the opposite of not crazy, he can make you look utterly, utterly out of your mind too. He's down for whatever. Visit johnphilphotography.com. That's J O N 
philphilphotography.com. All the cool kids are doing it. Whether we grew up at the tops of the hills that dot the outer edges of Warren County or in the city itself, we all knew that 899 square miles that contained us well enough. Summers at Kinzu Beach, contests with friends to see who could wedge themselves into the smallest hole in a glacial rock deposit at Rimrock or the Jake's Rocks Overlook. Fishing, camping, hiking, canoe trips down the Allegheny River. Damien must have known all these things, on a cellular level, as elemental to Warren County as a place, the same as Brian and I do. If you're not from Warren County, you can visit the show notes for links to great resources about some of the places you'll hear us discussing, and you can also check out our YouTube channel for a couple of narrated tours through areas significant to Damien's story. But before Brian and I even started collecting interviews with friends and family members, we reached out to Dave Sherman, who was last June the executive director of the Warren County Visitors Bureau, where his job was to be Warren County's biggest advocate, to explain to everyone why they should come here. We couldn't think of anyone with a better aerial view of this county to describe it to you than him. And you've heard a lot of place names so far, so... Let's just do a quick roundup, and we'll also break down the basic story for you in broad terms right here, too. First, Damien lived at 19 Cedar Street in the city of Warren when he went missing. That's on the east side. There are about 9,000 people in the city, which is the county seat. The day before he went missing on Friday, May 24th, Damien had a party at his apartment. The morning after that party, Damien's friend since fifth grade... Danica picked him up for a high ride. Danica, Damien, and maybe a couple other people went on this ride, she said, which was a regular thing. Whoever had a car would pick up whoever had some weed, and whoever was hanging out with them, and together, they'd ride out to what's known around Warren as the Allegheny Reservoir, created by one of the largest dams east of the Mississippi River, the Kinzu Dam. The reservoir is about six miles east of Warren via Route 59, but It's within a part of the county that includes the 500,000-acre total Allegheny National Forest, or ANF. The ANF is federal land. The federal government's use of that land is a tragically fascinating history, but beyond the scope of this podcast to tell you about. If you want to learn more about the history of the Seneca Nation, who lived here long before any federal government, you need to start with the documentary Lake of Betrayal, and you can find links to that in the show notes, too. Master Skater was an indoor skate park that operated on 2nd Avenue, also in the city. Damien had just taken up skateboarding, and it was while skateboarding, within a week of going missing, that Damien injured his knee. It's the reason a key feature of Damien's early story was the fact that he was using aluminum crutches the night he disappeared. His brother, Stephen Sharp Jr., who we'll call Stephen throughout this series, worked there. Damien visited Stephen at Master Skater the afternoon of his disappearance before heading over to Prospect Street that evening. The last place anyone says they saw Damien alive, up to this year, that is, was at 332 Prospect Street, Apartment 12, and on the street outside. 
That's about a 10-minute walk from Damien's apartment or the skate park. We'll also refer to this place as the Prospect Mansions or just the Mansions. Everyone agrees, though Damien wasn't walking to Prospect Street that day. If he was, they say, it would have been a burden. He was struggling on that knee. Somehow, though, they say he was able to climb an exterior metal staircase to visit a new friend who lived at the mansions. While he was there, this person told us last January, Damien invited him to a party out Brown Run Road that night. Brown Run, the Upper Reservoir, Forest Road 160 and 160D, all those party spots are in the hills and forested area above the Kinzu Dam and Allegheny Reservoir. Stephen says that up until that night, they'd been planning to have a keg party in the woods of Hart's Content. Hart's Content is about 25 miles from the reservoir in a whole other direction. It's another wild space in Warren County that's huge for tourism, but it's got a flavor and a vibe all its own. Rather than rolling hills and deep valleys cut by glaciers and dotted with the boulders they deposited on their way through, Hart's Content is more of a hiking and camping paradise, but where you go for solitude and peace. Jake's Rocks, the Reservoir, Brown Run, on the other hand, those are the places you go and went for postcard photos and good times. If it feels like a lot, visit the show notes for links to a more visual explanation of the basic setting for this story. And if you ever get the chance, we know we're introducing you to this place through the story of a likely homicide that occurred here, It's one part of this place, and we hope through this podcast that it doesn't need to continue to be an open-ended tragedy. But for the past 38 years, I've been rooting more and more deeply here for a reason. It's beautiful, and it's home. I can't recommend that you come visit enough. I promise you, if you want that tiny little ant in a big old chasm of a universe experience, visit Jake's Rocks or any of these other places. You will not regret it. Damien's case remains open with the City of Warren Police Department. Journalists can do a lot in these situations, but police have more resources than we can dream of. Detective Tiffany Dyke is the criminal investigator heading Damien's case up, and she's ready to hear from you. She told me. Call Tiffany at 814-723-2700 or email her at tdyke at police.cityofwarrenpa.gov. If you're scared of cops, fine. Be that way. Call Warren County Crime Stoppers instead. And if your information helps lead Tiffany to remains, Crime Stoppers is going to give you two grand. So, that'd be cool, yeah? Third option is, and will remain until Damien's found, Stacy at Two Moms Media. Message her on Facebook at Let's Find Damien. So, when we sat down with Dave to put it all into a little more context, the first thing we asked him for was a basic overview of the county itself. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, tell me a little bit about Warren County, just geographically, like, our biggest thing here is the a and right? Tell yes. Me about what, what, where do we live? Uh, an interesting thing, uh, that, or an interesting statistic that uh, probably some of Warren County doesn't even realize is one out of three acres is a and f and also one out of three uh persons 
are, I believe, 60 and over. So that makes for an interesting uh, path moving forward as, you know, when we talk about uh, socioeconomic challenges here, uh, we're near the New York border. Uh, 15 minutes, you'll cross the line, not even. And uh, weather is, is interesting here because, you know, Erie, you can pretty much count on the snow. Here, you know, they, they could call for a foot of snow and we could get three inches or we could get 23 inches. Uh, it's an aging county. It's a beautiful county. The Allegheny River was the 2017 Pennsylvania River of the Year. The Conewango Creek was the 2015 Pennsylvania River of the Year. And if you've ever paddled it, you know it's a nice, calm, typically, uh, paddle float, float down the creek. Whereas the Allegheny can get a little more adventurous. And uh, we were very proud to have the defending champs in our county uh, two years running. Northeastern Ohio, Cleveland specifically, knows exactly where we're at. Mm -hmm. Buffalo and Toronto, they like to come south to golf. Uh, Blueberry, Jackson, and, and Cable Hollow, uh, they love it here. And especially with the expenses in Canada to golf in Toronto, you can four of you can hop in a vehicle, be here in a few hours, right? once the border opens, <laughs> and uh, probably spend uh, the same amount of money as you would maybe on a round in one of the Toronto golf courses. So, so the, um, uh, the uh, Buffalo-Toronto crowd, uh, Western New York, comes down to see us to, to golf and, and uh, recreate. Pittsburgh comes up north to hunt and fish in a tradition that's probably 100 years old with hunters and, and fishermen. So it, it's interesting. I have always said that. Um... If you caught Dave's comment about when the border opens, that's in reference to the travel restrictions throughout the world during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. We interviewed Dave at the tail end of that ordeal in the summer of 2021. And just to situate you a little more into the amount of time we'll be discussing in this series, imagine this. Before the September 11 attacks on the World Trade Center in New York City, United States and Canadian citizens passed pretty freely and regularly through that international border for travel or business just because they damn well could. That may have been a uniquely American reason, but whatever. I stand behind it. After September 11th, international travel restrictions began to grow until starting on June 1st, 2009, you needed a passport to go propose to your girlfriend on the Canada side of Niagara Falls. It was a virus rather than an ideology that most recently inflamed the travel restrictions experience, but just stop for a second right here and soak in the fact that Damien has been missing for 20 years. 20 years. What has changed in your life in the past 20 years? I've been to college twice, addicted to opiates, arrested, put on probation light, been arrested again, spent 30 days in the Warren County Jail, give or take. I probably got a day or two for being quiet. I've been married. I've had two kids. I've been divorced. In that order, so 10 bonus points to Ravenclaw kids. Not that that was due to the fact that I lived my life with an abundance of caution or anything. It has been a wild ride down a cliff in a dumpster 
which is on fire. I figured out how to basically steer the dumpster enough to avoid hurting anyone, and luckily, 90% of the trip has been in a downpour, so it's really just smoldering at this point. But sweet God, to say that the changes to just my life alone have been profound would be the most outrageous of understatements. I've been like 16 different people in the past 20 years, and the world itself is so deeply unrecognizable from the one I lived out the faded, hazy days of high school and most of college round one in. Look, I'm not the only one. Brian, he's a real adult and he went through some changes too. Check it out. So much has changed for me since uh, 2002. As I mentioned before, I moved to Pittsburgh uh, shortly after Damien disappeared. Well, then I moved back and then I moved again and again and again. And, well, there were a lot of moves. Anyway, I met and then married my wife of uh, now 16 years. I attended university. And then another. And then another. And finally graduated in 2009. Became a military spouse. Then we moved again. Uh, this time to Colorado for five years. I became a father. Times three. We moved back from Colorado. Got a job. Got laid off. And now I own my own business. And if you had asked me 20 years ago to predict my future, I would have predicted exactly zero of those events happening. Let's get our bearings just a little bit. We'd love to give you Dave's entire interview, but it's almost an hour long and it's not all going to move this enormous chunk of a story we've bitten off forward if you listen to it all right now. We want you to hear it, though, so first we're going to get you his knowledge of the most important places, the A&F, Heart's Content, and the city. Then, during the break, we'll encourage you to subscribe to the show so that you can hear Dave's full review of this beautiful place we call home, or, if you're not from Warren, still this beautiful place we call home. Even if you are from here, this full interview is worth a listen Brian and I have both remarked that we feel like we've learned more about this place in the past year than we've known our entire lives as its residents. Um, Areas where they would have been looking for him um, would have been like Morrison Run area. Oh my. Up that area. I believe technically we're on the Allegheny Plateau, which means we're on the fringe of the Appalachian Mountains. Now, the Pittsburghers will tell you they're coming up to the mountains, whereas the Warren County residents will go, eh, yeah, I don't know. And the people from Colorado go, these aren't mountains. These are big hills in some areas, but you can get lost. And, and speaking of getting lost, heart's content. It seems every year somebody does get lost up there. Uh, Potter County is famous for stargazing at Cherry Springs. You can get every bit the same stargazing and heart's content. There's no light up there. There's no, I mean, I've talked to folks who've been up there at night in the heart of the woods and you better know where you're going. You better know where you're going in the daylight. Uh, Hunters will tell you that uh, they've gotten lost. I know one specifically who spent the night with his dog (laughs) and heart's content. I mean, just acre after acre. And um, how much of it is trails and navigable and how much of it is just straight up wild space well i believe there is a one mile loop and i believe there's a three mile loop 
give or take, that are well marked. Other than that, the, some of the comments we've received is, it all looks the same, which is really troubling. And I'm sure the sweat starts quickly if you think you're in one direction and suddenly you realize you're not. And uh, uh, the, the uh, hikers' a motto of make sure somebody knows where you're going really holds true in heart's content. I could probably find the acreage for you if you need it, but it's vast, it's thick, and it's remote. If you wanted to leave something or somebody up there, it wouldn't be hard. That's interesting, too, because you would almost have to know where you're going up there. Do people go off trail up there? Are people, are At their own risk. Months? I mean, you're able to go up there and hunt and hike and do as you please. There are people then, it would stand a reason that would probably know off trail areas that they like, but to be hiking up there and especially to be like, if you're going to follow the theory through right. carrying yeah. anything like that, you would have to know exactly where you're going. Well, in some area, Rimrock, for instance, uh, you, you know to certain, you can see the elevation. Again, a lot of heart's content is the same. So you think you're heading west and you're going south and you might wind up in Sheffield. I guess the other prevalent theory is, you know, the reservoir or somewhere near oh boy. the waters of the dam or something like that, which is different mm -hmm. because there are so many marked trails up there, but there's also easy access to a lot of points along the water, right? Sure, sure. And if you ever, I would encourage you sometime to come down at night from the east, from the Bradford side, and that bridge is lit up. When you go across that bridge, if it's cloudy or raining or something, you, you don't know where the sky ends and the water begins. It is remote there as well. Again, at night, it's black. You don't see any, you don't see any street lights out there. There isn't any commerce out there. Good luck. You know, I mean, it's really cool coming down that hill to, to the bridge. But again, uh, that time of year, you should have more activity with it being May. You know, it's warm enough. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, absolutely. Holiday weekend kind of kicks off the summer even here. But it wouldn't be hard with all those acres up there to find an offshoot. And, and we're talking 20 years ago, the trails at Jake's Rocks did not exist. Jake's what Rocks did, did but did not exist in 2002. Rocks, especially in that time frame, was more, hey, let's grab a tent and find a spot. Sure. Here's Brian to flesh out this particular place with a memory he has of camping there, weirdly, two nights before Damien went missing and a few months before moving to Pittsburgh. When we talk about Jake's Rocks uh, before the mountain bike, trails were put in the trails at jake's rocks uh, really a lot of people would go up there for camping and it was more or less just grab your tent and pick a spot and let's go and uh, some friends and i actually were up camping at jake's rocks the thursday before memorial day in 2002 we spent the night on thursday and left on friday morning and one of the forest workers as we were getting up that morning uh, on friday uh, came through and they were basically clearing us out because they had so many reserved camping spots for Memorial Day weekend. So for him to have been taken up there at some point or something nefarious to have happened in that area, there would have been 
most likely a lot of people up there because there were so many reserved camping spots at Jake's Rocks at that time. It's fractured memories like these that always come up the first time I reach out to a person to ask if they'll help me tell Damien's story and they reluctantly agree. They don't always agree is what I'm telling you, but when they do, they do it with reluctance. A number of Damien's friends, some of the ones who saw Damien that day, were not interested in participating in this podcast. Sam would talk to me, but only on background to help me understand the whole Warren vibe at the time, or specifically what Damien was all about. Like as a person. Like as a whole person and not just a missing one. Let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about speculation. Hey guys, we're producing this podcast for you and making sure you can access it without spending a dime, because it's important for everyone to know the fullest possible truth of Damien's story. This content is free because both Your Daily Local and Two Moms Media believe in a press free from government or corporate oversight, but free to consume as well. If you think you're entitled to quality reporting without a subscription cost, you're in luck, because so do we. Brian and I both support the creators and media outlets we find to have worked the hardest and the most ethically to provide the content we rely on to make important decisions in our lives, mostly because we know the amount of work that goes into creating it. We don't expect you to know that, but we do hope that content like this, honest, person-centered pieces of substance, Reporting that takes a faint but worthy voice and elevates it to the platform it deserves is of enough value to you as listeners to consider throwing us a few bucks in exchange. We're still going to give you the content, but your support helps us do more of this and better. We want to do so much more for you guys. Consider helping us. So at this point, we do need to give you some basic rules about speculation. We aren't naming suspects, and we are not saying that the entire contents, every story that you'll hear on this podcast is a fact. When you're trying to untangle a 20-year mystery, you've got to get comfortable with some speculation, but how you handle that speculation is everything. Ours is clearly labeled. This doesn't just go for journalists, though. You, the public... When you're telling stories, you're creating folklore, and it matters. The information police have to work with, if you're out there clouding it up with things you haven't verified for yourself, you need to stop. We don't endorse gossip, and we don't endorse slander. We've taken great care throughout this podcast to make sure that our speculation is clearly labeled and that we're telling you constantly that we don't endorse people running around slinging nonsense about this case. Because this isn't just a story. This is Damien's story. And Damien is a real person. And so are the people who loved him. And if anyone hurt him, they're a person too. They might have a family. They might have children. We need to remain aware of that. Especially because Warren is a small place. And we're dealing with real lives. One of our biggest concerns in creating this podcast was that it would simply start the rumor mill right back up. That was the last thing we wanted. We were trying to shut it down. When we started the Facebook page for this podcast last August, I was an anxious mess for weeks. 
ultimately, the flood of comments and messages, naming names and throwing speculation around like monkey poo, never materialized. But also, no comments came. Almost no one would speak with me in those first few days, and weeks, and months, and I started to realize something. Damien's story has become an urban legend. Believe it or not, there are actual people who devote their actual lives to collecting and studying folklore. They didn't just stop after they collected Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm's tales in the Black Forest. Modern folklore consists of a lot of different things, but the names folklore, mythology, urban legend, they don't actually have anything to do with the truth or lack thereof contained within any given story. That a story circulates that it varies and changes over time, and that the community it involves is motivated to sustain and perpetuate it, these are what define urban legends. So yes, wharf rats and men with hook hands are urban legends, but so is Damien Sharp. From his image in high school to the perpetually cloudy situation surrounding his disappearance, Damien Sharp feels like one of those people about whom big stories are going to be told. In 2012, Damien's family started working social media to try and amplify his story and to get information about where to find his remains. That was a decade after they'd already worked every other angle they could. A video interview of Damien's mom, Janine Shanahan, was posted on their YouTube channel, and we've provided links to that in the show notes. Over the years, Janine has done other interviews and podcasts, and we'll be trying to show you those as well any way that we can. In this particular 2012 video, though, Janine described the day her son was born. She had some complications, she said, and had to be taken to the ICU. The son she planned to name Daniel Eric was named instead by his father, Stephen Sharp, or Skip, as friends called him. Skip named Damien Mark Sharp on August 6, 1979. It feels like an important moment, and here we go with speculation but it's hard for me to not see this big-ass, gnarly world with a writer's brain. So I've always wondered, the name, Damien, with all its implications and associations. I think back to what Brian said earlier about Damien's image being cultivated by him to create an image larger than his actual stature, and I wonder, had Damien lived life as Daniel Eric, would he have become the goth kid who's haunted my memories since high school? We can't know. All we can do is speculate, but we're going to do it responsibly, and we ask you to do the same. Coming up in the next episode, we're going to sit down with Damien's aunt, Dana. Dana was around for the initial investigation, and she was one of the first people in his apartment after the family at large became aware that something was wrong. When I decided for sure I was going to do this, I started making a list of the people I'd need to reach out to. When I reached out to Janine and didn't hear back, I started moving down that list, and next in line was Janine's daughter, Damien's sister, Jamie. Jamie let me know that, unfortunately, her mom had experienced some health issues in the recent years and wouldn't be able to discuss Damien's case with me. It was a bit of a blow, mostly, because I still hadn't acquired a taste for cold-calling family members of missing individuals to, at least it felt like, pry into their business. I think if you do develop a taste for that, there's something very wrong. 
Janine wasn't available, and Jamie didn't live with Damien throughout childhood, so she really didn't feel she could provide me with much. You probably know more about it than I do, she said. Looked like I was back to the drawing board in that arena. So I sat back a long time and just quietly researched. Quietly asked questions of official and unofficial sources. Quietly, quietly read those affidavits. I lurked on the state's docket system, taking in what I had, testing out different names and potential scenarios against the official records I could access, crafting little baby theories and testing them for substance. All the while, checking it in against Janine in her available media statements of all flavors. And, finally, around last fall, I started reaching out to the two next closest family members, Damien's brother Stephen and his Aunt Dana. I spoke to both of them finally in any kind of coherent way around August. And I can't thank either of them enough for rolling with my ridiculous, crazy texts, phone calls, and questions since then. In the next episode, as I'd hoped would be the case way back at this time last year, Dana is going to give you so much information about Damien as a kid and as a teenager and as an adult that the smoky, hazy hint of a person you remember from high school or that you're developing an impression of right now will come roaring into all three dimensions by the end. Here's a quick preview of that. He just, he's a, he is, he's, he was a good person. He was an asshole. He was like the nicest asshole I've ever met, you know? Because he would do shit to piss with, piss with my kids. He'd piss with Thomas, which is so funny now. I, you know, I have video of him and uh, Thomas wearing hammer pants, you know, the sweatpants that, you know, had the pattern on them that came way down to your knees and, you know, Damien doing all that stuff. And Damien, anybody that knew Damien knew that he had, um, his voice was very different. Yeah, they called him Squeaky when he was little. When he was a baby, Damien, he just squeaked. You know, he just squeaked all the time. So we called him Squeaky Boy. And as an adult, he hated it. We still did it when nobody was around, you know, because he'd be pissed, you know. But he was Squeaky Boy. That's just, you know. And uh, I remember one time running around. They lived in a trailer and chasing him around the trailer. You know, I'm hauling ass after him, you know, or, or messing with him. And he was probably about two. And I hit some post sticking out of the ground. I broke my baby toe. I mean, I'm down on the ground crying. And he's laughing so hard. He's just squeaking. <laughs> he can't even get his breath. And he's just squeaking. He sounds like a little pig, you know, just oh laughing gosh. at me, you know. So you can't, you know, trying to hurt. But he's just squeakless. Squeaky boy. <laughs> you know, but he, um, I don't know. He just wanted to be accepted. You know, he wanted to be loved. And, um, Damien's mom, Dana's sister Janine, was outspoken for his case from early on in his disappearance. Through the day that she had him declared presumably deceased on October 22nd, 2018 at 1.30 p.m. in the main courtroom of the Warren County Courthouse, according to an October 8th, 2018 legal notice in the Times Observer. There, on that date and at that time, this notice says, quote, Evidence will be heard concerning the alleged absence of said missing individual and the circumstances and duration thereof. The missing individual, if alive, or any other individual having evidence that the missing individual is alive, is required to produce and present to the court evidence that the missing individual is still in life. It's basically a speak now or forever hold your peace kind of moment, I guess. 
Do you have a question or a comment about this case or our coverage of it? Visit our Anchor site and click the message button to leave it for us in a voice recording. We may use your recording on an upcoming Q&A episode or other places throughout upcoming episodes. Do it. Peer pressure. So if I couldn't speak with Janine, I knew I had to speak with Dana. I interviewed her for this podcast in one sitting a few weeks ago, but we've spoken in person and on the phone several times since last fall. This for real on-air interview, though, was a really cool, cool thing. We met at a local coffee shop, and as soon as she sat down, she just started telling me stories about Damien, but also what it was like being the folks at the center of the biggest story in our small town. Here's some of what she had to say on that. So for me to reach out to, I remember it was probably about two or three weeks into it. It was right around two weeks. Somebody, and I don't know who it was, honestly, said to me, do you think you'll ever find him? And I, I mean, you could have blown me over. I never in, a, in the two weeks time, which is a million moments in my head, ever thought for a second that it wasn't any minute. I mean, if I heard a knock at the door, because the understanding was that the police were to get a hold of me. So we, as a family, could go to Janine, you know, and, and skip. They wouldn't be alone when they found out, you know. Um, so I heard a siren. I thought they're looking for me, you know, slow down so they could catch up because they're, you know, they probably see me pass. I mean, this is really how things were in my head at that time. But I think that's completely normal. So the first time anybody said, do you think you would? I was dumbfounded. I would have never in a million years thought we would be here going on 20 years. You know, it just. I've been asked so many times, why? Why does this matter? Not why does this matter? But like, why does it matter to me? Do I have some personal connection to Damien Sharp? Nope. Missing person in my family? Negative. Soulless harpy journalist just looking for an innocent victim to further victimize through exploitation of his legacy, narrative, and living relatives? Jesus, where have we met? But no. Sorry to disappoint. Did I have a hots for Damien back in the day? So I can say that I haven't spoken to one single woman who didn't acknowledge that Damien was kind of catnip and especially to a particular quiet sort of girl. That's just social physics, man. I'm not unique in that respect, to be sure, to be sure. Compared with all known available options to me in Warren County at that time as a high school student, 100% the man was in the top 10 list of attractive guys I recall from that time. Mainly, though, and I'm sure I can't be the only one here either, because he was mostly a mystery even then. That and he would have driven my parents, maybe, but for sure my grandparents, out of their minds. That was an important trait in a partner in the 90s. I'm not going to apologize for it. Anyhow, I had suspicions then that Damien and I shared a lot of the same challenges and might even find that we shared a lot of the same interests and values if we ever wound up speaking to one another, which 
never happened because I tried to avoid speaking to anyone in high school if possible. I always got a sense that the persona he crafted for himself, as Brian said, had more to do with weirding people out and making sure he didn't waste too much of his own energy on people who weren't comfortable at his level. It looked like offense, but it was really just protection. And it's maybe not the most adaptive coping mechanism, but in many ways, it's brave as hell. Shit. Brene Brown is living my best life right now, doing TED Talks about the importance of living authentically and with deep thought invested into your own psychological makeup as well as that of others in the world at large. No matter how many of those damn TED Talks I listen to at 38, I still care way, way too much what other people think for a woman who hasn't been actively okay with hurting others since she gave up the Percocet and found Jesus legally prescribed psychotropic medication in jail after jail damien broke through my awareness so strongly in school i think because of the lack of concern he appeared to have over what other people thought not only did he seem to me outrageously comfortable with controversy he didn't seem a tad bashful about causing it either while i never saw him go out of his way to cause a problem I respected that he didn't have a reputation for being squeamish about handling problems others had with him just for being himself. In another episode, you're going to hear from Damien's friend Danica. She met him when she moved to Warren in fifth grade, and she told me that these assessments, while understandable for the perspective from which they came, that of a socially paralyzed and already quite anxious 14-year-old kid, was understandable, but not exactly entirely on the mark. Damien did have insecurities, Danica told me. And now, as a grown-up, they insist. This is not news to me, but I needed to hear someone who knew him confirm it. That's maybe been one of the best parts of this project, is getting a glimpse at my own ability to read and assess others. We don't often get such concentrated opportunities at feedback on that, but it's a good skill to seek feedback on for anyone, I think. So as I dug into his actual, as opposed to his legendary life, I discovered that Damien and I did share more than a few similarities in our character arcs. The uncertainty over, but desire for acceptance? Check. The conflicted relationship with family? Oh yes, recognize that. The predisposition to be defensive? to admit people into our lives based on our own assessments of their characters rather than the aesthetic of their words. I almost wonder how much of my own current aspiration toward growth in all those areas, even when it's the hardest possible choice to make, has been quietly simmering on a flame at least partly fueled by Damien's memory, even after all these years. I think it's entirely possible that Damien has motivated a lot of the person I am today without my ever having consciously realized it. And that makes me feel like it's important to recognize that while we tell our kids that high school is just the beginning, and it is, the truth is that the core of who we are as people is forged in the fires of our school age years, from kindergarten up, well before we're even agonizing over the cruel determinism of standardized testing or the social implications of wearing Plaid with floral, for example. But who we become after that is based on who we spent all that time becoming, and 
you guys, we never actually stop becoming who we are if we're doing it right. You're always developing every day, whether you want to or not. Can confirm. So even if I wasn't able to manifest it then, I recognized the strength of personality it took Damien to stand up to bullies when the fight wasn't even his own, or to do what made him happy before what made his peers happy. I recognized those things for what they were, unique and enviable. And Dana will describe in the next episode what I recognize most of all is that no matter what he looked like, Damien was a lot of things rolled into one complex as hell person. So though he may not have struck a chord with the families of his wrestling teammates or the parents of his friends or the people who could have helped police find him 20 years ago, the ones with knowledge of what happened to him, Damien could have been pretty much anybody who graduated within that decade between 1995 and 2005 in Warren County. In fact, Dana puts this way better than I ever could, and I think that's what I want to leave you with for this chapter. And that's what's so important about this podcast, because when we stop talking about Damien, we stop the hope of ever finding out the truth. Absolutely. You know, Damien's dad is gone now. He passed five years after Damien in a tragic trucking accident. And Damien's mother is uh, in a bad place physically right now. Um, she's had some medical issues and um, is homebound and has been for a few years now. And um, everything she understands, I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, he still has sisters and brothers and aunts and, and, and friends. And even if it's not for clarification for us just justice and if it could happen this easily and everybody just turn their head when it happens to you you want everybody to pay attention you want everybody to know about it and as long as we're talking about it something's going to come out something is going to come out. I believe that 100% I hope it's in my lifetime I hope it's in my lifetime that it comes out you know, because as uh, different as Damien was, he was a squeaky boy. You know, he was that beautiful little two-year-old you're looking at right now that somebody's, you know, listening to this and looking at. You know, this that's that squeaky boy, you know. Um, he's silly weird. He was, you know... Um, that athlete that's doing well and changing everybody's perception of who he is. You know, to me, Damien was kind of like uh, Eminem. Yeah, he reminds me of Eminem. Yeah. I listen to a lot of Eminem and I'm like, like, yeah, sure. like I hated Eminem. I didn't hate him. I don't hate anybody. But like, I didn't like Eminem. Like, you know, all that crap. I just, and then you kind of see the movie and you know, I know I'm an Eminem fan, you know, and that's kind of like Damien. You kind of look at him and think, oh, he's just red, red, red. But then you find, you know, he didn't have Smoke is a production of Two Moms Media and Your Daily Local. Created, written, and told by Stacey Gross. Executive producers are Stacey Gross and Brian Hagberg. Our theme 
is Diddy Six, written and produced by Bob Gross. Voice acting by Frank Williams and Adam McCoy. Audio production, transcription, and cover art by Stacy Gross. Our guests in this episode were Sky Hill, Dave Sherman, and Dana Kibbe. Thanks to Aaron Mee at Lily Broadcasting for covering the investigation, Aaron Uber at the Warren County Proventary's office, and the professor. Check out the show notes for links to our website, sources we've used, and a full transcript of each episode. Visit us on social media at Let's Find Damien. If you like the show, tell everyone. Remember to follow the show wherever you're listening, rate, and review. It'll help us out a ton.